Welcome to the Lighthouse Podcast, a resource created by Lighthouse Family Retreat to strengthen families living through childhood cancer. You'll hear stories from families, educational information on childhood cancer, and most importantly, we will be there to encourage your family during your journey. Welcome to our second episode of season four on the Lighthouse Podcast. I feel like I'm going to say season four a lot this year because it just, I get really excited about it. Yeah, I'm all right with that. That works for me. I'm okay with that. Hey, it's really an honor to just sit down with these different guests and hear their stories uh, and they're just different life experiences. It's really cool. It really is. And this season, we're bringing even more stories from families who have been on a journey through childhood cancer, including many kids and teens themselves. In fact, today we're going to talk to a teenager who's definitely had a journey, a long one through childhood cancer. I loved talking to Brendan mm-hmm. Zurica. I can admit I played the mom card a lot with him, which was probably annoying but to him, but he reminded me so much of my boys. I'm hoping he thought I was a cool mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. he thought you're the cool mom. Okay. You're definitely we'll the cool mom. We'll go with you that. You know, I can see you being the cool mom. <laughs> my boys might have something to say about that. <laughs> I can see you being the cool mom. Hey, before we get into our interview with Brendan, I uh, definitely want to mention that we do have registration that is officially open for 2022. That's for both families and all of our volunteers. But want to speak specifically about our volunteers. We've got 19 week-long retreats plus several one-day and weekend retreats to fill this year. So we need a lot of help. Yeah, we need families. We need church groups. We need teenagers, kids everybody. You can go to our website, lighthousefamilyretreat.org to learn more and to register. Super excited because this year we're also adding a location in Georgia. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be fun to play in the Georgia sand. I know it's going to be a little bit different, yeah. but in a really good way. Uh, it's going to be at St. Simon's, which if you're in, you're from Georgia, you know exactly where that is. And it's got a lot of neat charm uh, to the town. Uh, we're also going to be in North Carolina and in Florida, which are typical locations that a lot of folks that serve with Lighthouse are familiar with. Um, it's going to be a great summer. So be sure you go and sign up, but not right this second. I want you to wait (laughs) until you finish listening to this podcast, then go sign up, because this is a really great podcast. Um, You're going to hear from Brendan. So let me introduce you to him uh, before we jump in. So Brendan is 23 years old, and he lives in Lawrenceville, Georgia. He is currently in recovery mode from treatment for diffuse large B-cell non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, but he's still making time for the things that he loves, including soccer, video games, and he also enjoys learning about geography and psychology. And I know that last one for sure, because as you will hear, Brendan is really passionate about mental health. And it's really cool because he's super open about his own experiences in that area. So let's listen to what he has to say. Well, hey, Brendan, I know you had a pretty complicated journey uh, with different relapses and some failed treatments, but all of our listeners don't have a whole lot of history on your story. So why don't you walk us through some high level of your journey from diagnosis to today to get us started? So my journey began in July 2015 when I was 16 years old, two weeks before my 17th birthday. I had been dealing with a cough and just that had persisted for since May and into June. I thought it was pneumonia because I'd had pneumonia twice in the past. So it's just a normal thing. Gonna go check it, get it checked out and get it taken care of. But it wasn't pneumonia and they did a chest x-ray at my pediatrician and they found a mass in my chest. And they, that's when they sent me to Children's Healthcare at Scottish Rite. And then we did the CT scan and then that was when I had my first diagnosis and I was told about non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and what it meant. And that was a really difficult time because 
you know, I didn't know about the cure rate. I didn't know if it was aggressive, not aggressive. What basically what my chances were, and first thought was just, am I gonna die? And it was it was really overwhelming, and I found out that non-Hodgkin's or the specific one, diffuse large B cell, was a very curable disease, and that kind of that put me at ease, and it made the um, the first diagnosis easy to deal with. It wasn't easy because it was intense chemo with intense intense fast-growing cancer but it was just six months done but it took a toll on me i didn't realize that until a few years later because it happened right before my first semester of senior year of high school which is a time when you need to get ready for a transition from high school into whether it's college trade school or just working or whatever and not having that first semester didn't really allow me to have that time to think about these things because what, what was on my mind was treatment my health and everything else with that. So I did get cured in December, followed up with um, checkups and was good in January and went back to school and finished out my senior year. But I really wish I would have talked to people during that so I could have grasped it a little better because I was healthy for three years from January 2016 to August 2018 was just good. It was going to school, going to work, doing things, making plans for my future and trying to like figure out a career, just what my path is going to look like. And then I um, started to have familiar symptoms in August 2018 and in July. And I think I was in denial for a while because I was like, this can't be it. This isn't relapse. And then finally, like, all these symptoms got so bad, like coughing, tumor pain. And I finally just went and we got the CT scan. And then it was, uh, it was announced that I had relapsed with diffuse large B cell. And I had got admitted in the end of August and began treatment at the beginning of September. And the second one was rough. I went into it, you know, positive. It was okay. This was easy last time. It wasn't easy, but it was short. It was curable. Maybe this one won't be so bad this time. And I began a treatment, a three-step, a three-step treatment. And that just, it didn't work. It didn't kill enough. It only killed about like 30, 40% of my cancer. And it just kept growing back. And then after that, it was on to the next treatment. And then I did an immunotherapy, which that was February, 2018. And that was really it worked really well. It killed about well, 90% of my cancer. And I was feeling good. It was not even a year of treatment. I felt like I was about to get into remission. And then I just relapsed again. Hmm. It started to grow back. It had mutated into it. Like the, um, this, all this cancer cells that were killed kind of changed into different cancer cells that the amount of therapy didn't target. So it was that point when... We didn't know what was next. Ran out of options. Did a treatment. It didn't work. And then it was just like a period of time where it's like, all right, what clinical trials can we find? What will work? And it was at that point, the first time and both diagnoses that I had gotten to the point, I was like, this could be it. I don't think I might make it. And I need to really start focusing on how to cope with these feelings, what I can leave behind. And just trying to stay as positive as possible for my family and my friends because I could see how much 
I affected them based off like my positivity and stuff and how I was doing kind of keep them happy. And I just got so overwhelmed with all these different thoughts that I finally decided to seek out therapy at children's health care. And I got set up with a psychologist for a few months and then she left. And then I got set up with my next one, Dr. Upshaw. And we had just built a relationship over these past two years. And that's really what got me through it. And having that positive mindset let me make these decisions easier about my treatments. And so we were talking, you know, discussing life after treatment, what I may want to leave behind and everything. And we were just finding clinical trials and we finally found one in California that I was going to, it was going to be the same immunotherapy I did, but to target the other cells that weren't killed. And this whole time we're doing it, we're doing a bunch of treatment to kill all the cells that were put in me to fight the treatment so it's like erasing all the progress i had made and restarting so that was a long journey and that was just a lot of chemo and then we finally found an immunotherapy towards the end of 2019 that had just been approved for like regular use in hospitals and we did that and all of a sudden i just they were like hey you're basically in remission now you don't need to be on this clinical trial. We need to move to, tra- we need to move to transplant immediately. It's okay. And then I hear that. And a month later, this was uh end of, end of December, beginning of January when this, uh, when that treatment had worked, surprisingly, we had no idea. And it was like, it was unexpected. And, and then I had to make my decision about transplant and with transplant, there were different options. It was high dose chemo radio or High dose radiation with chemo, low dose radiation with chemo, or no radiation at all. And it's like, since I have like two years of intense chemo, it's like, okay, there's a chance that this high dose radiation could kill you and your body might not be able to come back from it. So for a few weeks, I was sitting there deciding between high dose and low dose, whether I wanted to, even if I wanted to do the transplant, because I had hit remission. And it's like, do I take my chances? Do I do radiation? transplant at a year or so in my um recovery and then which which radiation do i pick do i put my life at risk or do i like deal with the side effects of transplant with some radiation and just hope for the best and that was a tough decision and i didn't have to make it because we found the scan and they were like you can't do radiation at all your body's too weak so we're gonna go straight into transplant with just chemo and that's what we did March, 2020. That was transplant date and we did that and it worked. And I've been here since just dealing with the side effects of transplant recovery and just healing mentally and physically. So after all the decisions of that, the decision was kind of made for you as far as transplant. The only decision I had to make was if I do transplant or not. And I had to do it. I wasn't sure that I wasn't going to relapse again because of my history. And I said, yeah, it'll take a year or two of like just recovery and extending my treatment plan and period and everything. But I did it and it's really worked out. At your age, how's the process? Were your parents involved with you? Were you, you know, getting their input on that? Or is this, hey, you're now 20, 22, 21 years old. This is your decision. How, how did that play out? It was easy. Obviously, I took my parents' opinions into account and I didn't want to like, I wanted to at least have some say in it since they were my caretakers. But making decisions weren't that hard until transplant because obviously I, was, I wasn't 18 the first time. 
and they were signing all the papers, making all the decisions. But between the time of my first diagnosis and second diagnosis, I was going to show up for checkups, going by myself, signing the forms and everything. So I was already used to it. I just hadn't gotten the chance to like sign off on treatment and chemo and things that could like really mess with my body. And I think having the experience of the first time, knowing what it will do to my body and then having those two years of forms that I got to sign myself in the clinic, it made it easy. And my parents trusted my, they trusted me because we had been through this before and it wasn't a new thing. Really the hardest decision was transplant. And I know my, I felt like my parents really wanted me to do it. I was deciding between it. And it's like each time I said, maybe I don't want to do transplant. I could see like, maybe not disappointment on their face, but just like they're hurt. They just, I know they just wanted me to be okay. So like at that point, that was the hardest part of signing my own papers was making sure I did what was right for me and what made my parents feel okay. Cause though I was doing the treatments and everything, it wasn't really just me. It was a team, a team effort between my mom and my dad and I, and I had to value their opinions. Do you think it was hard for them? I mean, I have kids your age. I know you're not a kid. I have young adults your age, and they're still your kids, even even in when they're 18, 19, 20. Do you think it was hard for them to, I don't know, watch you make the decisions or um, watch you sign off the papers, things like that? Did you guys ever talk about that? We did. I think it was weird for them because I, I was an adult in a children's hospital. Yeah. But pretty much all the things I had decided were similar decisions to what they would have picked so they were okay with it and they knew it was up to me and i think they understand like it was an important thing for me to do like just own that responsibility and get used to doing these things because i'm not going to have my parents doing these things forever and they just i mean we talked about it and we made decisions together but we pretty much agreed on everything and i think really just it was a transplant that was the biggest like conflict of interest was whether I do it or not and whether it was what my parents wanted or not. And so it wasn't, it wasn't too hard for them, but it was weird going from not signing papers to signing my own papers and being in a children's hospital this whole time. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit, Brendan. What, what was the experience like for you? Cause you know, your first diagnosis, you were 17 and this has obviously carried you for five years past that. And, and, and so you're you're still being treated in a children's hospital as a teenager and young adult. How was that process for you? So the first time, it was all new. So that itself was uncomfortable. But I felt out of place at Joe. Like they obviously they had things for teenagers and young adults, but it, it felt like it mostly catered to the younger kids with people that came door to door to entertain and just the activities they had and everything really. So it was a point where I just, I never felt like I belonged and I, I was old enough to where I could understand everything and I could talk to the nurses, but it didn't feel like the place I was supposed to be. And it was at that point when I had wished I had gotten to talk to a therapist, I had turned it down every time. You know, I thought I was like, okay, I'm sick. I'm not depressed. I don't need to talk to anyone. It was just being stubborn. It's like, I do need to talk to one because if I don't address these things, it's going to stick with me. And it did. And just 
not also not having patients around me that were close to my age and really never seeing anyone my age and they're all younger kids i just felt alone and i felt that way for a very long time i hadn't it took i hadn't even met anyone or my age who had had cancer until i was 20 years old and the, it was it was hard the first time i mean it was a short time it was it, just, it was over and it felt so fast but it was harder as a teenager than it was as a young adult it's weird as it sounds because as a young adult i know i had already been in there and a lot of the nurses i had seen three years before it i had seen them again and i had already had these relationships with them and the doctors and all the employees and i was an adult so i was signing my papers and i felt like i could talk to them as an adult like adult to adult and have real discussions about these things and i could really just form relationships with these employees in a way i couldn't when i was 17 and like even though it was a children's hospital it just it felt good going in there i was like i'm just gonna go in i'm gonna get out i'm not expecting anything this is a place to treat me and that's what it is and these are all people i've known forever and people who i trust and feel safe with and it felt good and it was it was a children's hospital in name but really it felt like a second home at that point so it wasn't too bad and i would have rather done it at choa than in adult care because i know how like how well they treat the patients and how nice like those rooms are and everything so not expecting to belong like a teenager but just being there and feeling comfortable was it was really helpful for the whole thing. So Brendan, I'm doing the math on your whole journey as a whole, and it's pretty clear that you missed a lot of really like important, tra- what we would consider like transitional times. Like, you know, you m- mentioned missing the first semester of your senior year and how that impacted you. And then you're sick again as kids are going off to college that are your age and everything. Being the age you are now and looking back, how how do you process that now that you missed that that time or that your time doesn't look like other kids your age time um how do you work through that it was tough at first making unhealthy comparisons other people my age feeling like it was going to take forever to catch up i wouldn't necessarily feel accepted by people my age because of just my lack of life experience i had matured emotionally far past 23 years old but in terms of real life stuff i still felt like a teenager and everything and I realized that it shouldn't compare myself to other people's lives. Something that's big in my life could be something minor in another person's life. Um, something big in their life could be just a minor inconvenience to me. And everyone's journey is different. And you take it at your own pace and you shouldn't rush your life just to feel like you've accomplished something because other people have. It's really just put the focus on yourself first. And yeah, it was it was really tough. But... I'm at a point where I feel good about it now because I think about all the things I missed out on. Say, okay, I could have done this. I could have done that. I could have done this better. But all paths led to cancer, regardless of what I did or what I didn't do. So it kind of helped me not live with regrets, really, because no matter what, I was going to get sick twice. And what's important is to not focus on the past. It's to just deal with the past fix the present and prepare for a good future. And that's taken, it took a year to really like change that. And with therapy, going and talking at talking it out every week helped me kind of just take all these thoughts running through my head and unscramble them and like just put them in a way, like put them down on paper in a way that made sense. And it would make me feel better about my situation. And to think about all the things 
I lost, but also what I gained and I gained perspective. And I think for me, the perspective is very important. Yeah. It helps me stay humble and everything. And just to take, not take life for granted and appreciate every moment. Yeah. You say not, um, you know, you, you can't go back and relive the past and you don't want to focus on the past. You can learn though, right. From the past. And it sounds like you learned a lot. You've mentioned therapy a couple times. What have you learned um, through just the process of seeking out therapy, which not a lot of people, you know, eventually have the maturity to, to do that on their own. But what have you learned from that process for yourself? What have you learned that you maybe shared with others about it? Don't wait too long. It took me basically getting to my lowest point to finally seek it out. And it's not just for mental health and mental illnesses. It's just a nice place to go for an unbiased point of view so you can talk it out because it's like you have a lot to think about in a week or two and talking it out really unscrambles those thoughts and you can collect it and obviously it does help you to talk your problems out to someone who isn't really involved in your life an unbiased perspective so you don't feel judgment and the more you talk things out, the more it makes sense. And you can really just understand these things. And for me, that's what I enjoyed about it and why I continued to go for such a long time. Because even if I didn't need it, it was just nice to go. And every every week I could learn something new about myself. And if I had a problem that came up, I could go and talk it out and get resolution in a healthy way. So one of the things you and I talked about when we talked about before, we talked about survivorship a lot, and you used a phrase that I, that I loved, and we talked about the untold press, pressures of survivorship. Can you tell me, can you tell everybody kind of what those might be, and then how has therapy kind of helped you walk through that? So you, you beat cancer, and it's like, what's next? As you've been given, or I've been, I've been given this like second, third, fourth chance by now, and it's whether people expect you to or not, like you just feel this pressure to be great, make something of yourself because you've been given this chance and it's, it's unhealthy because you start to deal with survivor's guilt as well. And it's like, okay, I made it. Other people weren't as lucky. It's like, no, I can't fail. I have to, I have to be great. I have to do so many things now because other people couldn't. And these people, like other outside influences, they aren't really there. Uh, for me it was just in my head it was like all right i have to i have to really get my life going all these people my age are however far ahead and stuff and it almost felt like i have no excuse to fail i have no excuse to not be great and do things and achieve things but that pressure can eat away at you it can be it takes any motivation and it can kills it because you feel often feel like you haven't done enough with the time you've been given after treatment and really remission is just a weird period of time like you're not doing treatment anymore it's like you don't know what you're you don't know what week by week is going to look like it's just recovery and like finding the right time to get back into real life and normal things and just finding the right pace i think the pressure with survivorship is it all comes down to the right pace don't push yourself too hard and burn out don't waste time as well so it's it's all about balance so what does life look like now as you're recovering from that? What does that look like physically for you, emotionally for you, um, just like real life? What does that look like? Physically, I 
feel good. Honestly, like it took a toll on my body and some days it's harder to wake up and other days and I get tired more easily, but I've been building that back, building my strength back and I feel good. There are problems that are probably going to persist throughout my life, whether it be weak bones, just pain from injection sites and everything. But other than that, I've taken the time to feel almost as good as I did before my second diagnosis. And right now, I think I'm happier than I was before the second diagnosis. I think I'm getting back to how I felt at 16 before my first one, because I took the time and I let myself know that it's okay to be patient. You don't have to rush recovery because if you do, it's, you're not going to, it's not going to go well. You didn't take the time to focus on what's important. And really, before the second diagnosis, I was at a point in my life where I had everything I had wanted, you know, job, work, school, hobbies and everything, but I wasn't the person I wanted to be. And I think that person was going to burn out. But given having a second diagnosis and all this time to reflect on it, it's allowed me to really focus on who I want to become and then get those things back that I always wanted. So now I feel the best I've been in years. Wow. That's very good news. Yeah, that's awesome. I um, Your story is very hard to listen to, but wow, you tell it with, um, I don't even know what the word is. It's You tell it with a great perspective. And I love that at your age, you're willing to talk about mental health and how important it is. Like you said, it doesn't have to be for a big thing, just to get through your everyday life. And I can tell that... Um, and we've had Dr. Upshaw on the podcast. I can tell that she's been a huge influence yeah. with you. And I would imagine that other ki- other kids, I'm using air quotes, other adults your age that went through this as kids and young adults would be really, really, um, they'd be really supported by your story. Yeah. You have a lot of wisdom. Mm-hmm. A lot of wisdom. And I hope to be able to reach out to these older kids and let them know that you're not alone it's okay to talk about your feelings and it's okay to feel sad with a treatment and a diagnosis. You don't have to put on a face, embrace it because it is a rough period of time, but how you deal with it is really more important than how you feel in the moment. You got a lot of great life ahead of you. We're excited about the things that you've you shared with us beforehand about just what's next for you and just know we are for you, and, and we look forward to keeping up with your story. Thanks for taking the time to share it with us. Thank you for having me. This was, this was a lot of fun. <laughs> We're really happy we got to meet you. Thanks. It's good to meet you all. I really loved that conversation, mm-hmm. and I'm really thankful that Dr. Upshaw, who's been on the podcast with us several yep. times, she recommended Brendan. Um, he's such an incredible guy. Yeah, what a neat story, and just so glad that he wanted to take the time to spend it with us. We're going to have more stories just like Brendan's that are going to be coming up this season. So don't forget to follow or subscribe to us wherever you're listening to podcasts. And make sure you also leave us a rating and a review. That's going to help others find this podcast. So that's super important. And also, please share. Uh, You never know who's in your circle that might need to hear this. We love bringing you guys these stories, and we're going to keep them coming. We're going to see you next week on the podcast.